I'm married to such a hot woman. Seriously. I meant she's on fire. What else did you think I meant? Ah, just a joke. She's hot. Because she's on fire and she's hot. I'll just leave it at that before I get into trouble. <laughs> oh, well, good morning, everybody. It's great being together as a church family. And uh, I'm excited for all that the Holy Spirit's doing. Um, happy Thanksgiving for two days ago. I hope you all had a really good time with family and friends and uh, were able to give as well as be thankful. And uh, I know Kate and I and our family, we love to be able to give to people outside of our family at Thanksgiving. And it's just always a special time to open our home up and have people uh, that, you know, we might not uh, necessarily see regularly or we do see regularly, but it's just an opportunity to really pour out love and share of the goodness of God. How many of you really enjoyed giving at this Thanksgiving? How many of you enjoyed that? I cooked the roast dinner. And um, my wife just really was blessed that, that her husband cooked the roast dinner. And, and, and Jean, Jean Butler, that, who was with us, uh, she was just like, Jean couldn't get over the fact that I cooked the dinner and then I did all the washing up as well. She's like, where in the world did Kate find a husband like that? And... Uh, and <laughs> Your husband's looking a bit sheepish, uh, Stephanie. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't want to be boastful. I just was taught by my mom and dad that, you know, just roll your sleeves up, get stuck in, and do the washing up afterwards. So it's just what we do, right? It's what we do. So, and I enjoyed the, the, uh, the, the cooking of the roast because... When you do a lot of travel like we do, we don't always get the opportunity to eat home-cooked meals, our own home-cooked meals. So it was really nice to have roast potatoes. and That's English to have roast potatoes. I'm introducing you to an English Thanksgiving. It doesn't exist, but it does now. <laughs> it was so funny because uh, Canadians, we celebrate Thanksgiving in October. Okay, I say we because Kate and I are Canadian citizens as well as American citizens as well as British citizens. We have three passports, so we're like, we feel like Jason Bourne when we're about to go on travel. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of an exciting life. And we didn't intend out that way, just, that's just the way the Lord's led us, and in the goodness of God, we acquired three citizenships along the way. Um, but Canadians, we celebrate Thanksgiving in October, Americans, as you all know, we celebrate Thanksgiving in late November. And then, as English people, we traditionally have turkey at Christmas. And so, uh, our first year that we were here, back in 2008, we are like, we got to celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving. Because, you know, at that time we were real, I mean, we're still immigrants, but right then we were really, really fresh immigrants on visas. And so, we, you know, anything Canadian we grabbed hold of, to, or British, you know, uh, and, and so we, we popped that turkey in the oven and we, we ate it merrily. Well, then about five weeks later, we did the same again because now it's, yay, we're in America, let's have American Thanksgiving. So we had turkey a second time in five weeks and we were like, wow. And of course, you know, turkey gives you flatulence, so we're all uncomfortable. 
tooting all over the household for a second time. And then, uh, then we got to Christmas and we're like, we're having turkey again? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so pretty soon we learned, now we have beef at Christmas, so our house is just weird. I know some of you have hams, but anyway, that's for the unanointed. Turn with me to John chapter 4. We've been camped, Kate and I have been camped out in The Woman at the Well, and uh, there's just so many amazing dynamics in this story, and I want to draw out uh, another important dynamic. And uh, last week, the dynamic that I drew out is that all human beings are children of God. They're all born children of God, and the Greek word for child of God children of God in the context of us all being born children of God, according to Galatians chapter 4 verse 3, when we were children of this world, that word child is nepios. Nepios. Everybody say nepios. Okay. And then we talked last week about how uh, although we're all born and created children of God, nepios, That is not an eternal condition. That is a flesh, temporary condition, a natural birth. Every human being is born naturally a child of God, but it is a birth of the flesh. It is not an eternal state of being. And so although God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, John 3.16, It doesn't go on to say, and therefore the whole world has been saved. And so, a lot of folks these days in various uh, places around the world are espousing a theology that for 2,000 years has been rejected by Christian theologians of Orthodox Christianity. And I would encourage you to be very careful of anything that is new that has been rejected for 2,000 years of Orthodox Christianity. And one of those theologies and doctrines that's been rejected is universalism. Universalism is the theology that says that Jesus Christ gave his life for the whole world and therefore the whole world is automatically saved. The Bible's very, very clear that although God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, it doesn't go on to say, and therefore everybody's automatically saved. Trust me, if God is a God of grace and love, and that was the simplicity of it, He would have said that. But He didn't. Why not? Precisely because He's a God of grace and love. You see, it would not be grace and it would not be love if you were automatically forced to spend eternity with the God that you didn't want in time and space. That would not be love. And so God has given us all the grace to reject Him. He's given us the love, the free choice to reject Him. In fact, we would not be a child of God if that wasn't the case. We would be a robot of God. 
You see, God so loved the robots that he forced them to spend eternity with him. It's not the Bible. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever or whoever believes in him, in Jesus, may have, may not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, by way of picking up speed from last week, I want to make it very, very clear to us that our mission in this life is to help children of God become sons and daughters of God. The Greek for children of God, as in eternal children of God, as in children that have not only been born of the flesh as nepios, but through faith in Jesus Christ have now become born of the Spirit, the Greek word is no longer nepios for those children. It's now technons, which means dearest, beloved child, and huioses. And my apologies for the mispronunciation of huios last week when I called it huios, and a dear friend of mine helped correct me, and I'm so thankful to them for doing that. I prefer the sound of huios and huios, but anyway, happy to be a huios because that has left me eternally saved. And perhaps I'll have eternity to get my mouth around pronouncing. Hi, good morning, Jesus. It's your huios. So good to see you again this morning. But the Bible's very clear in Galatians 3.26 that we've all become sons of God. We've all become huioses of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Nepios is what we're born. Helping the world discover that they are nepios as their primary identity will help them to discover if they're a child of God that God is their dad. In discovering that God is their dad, they've taken one step closer to discovering that if he's their dad in time and space, he can become their dad for all of eternity. Or rather, that's perhaps not, the, that's a clumsy way of saying it. It would be better to say that if they were born a child of God and therefore God is their dad, then he, in his love for them, would have a desire for them to become children of God for eternity. And all they have to do is to believe in Jesus. And that causes them to be born of the Spirit, born again, to use common Christian language and biblical language from John chapter 3, that they become born of the Spirit. They become born again, no longer born merely in Epios, but now upgraded from Adam into Christ. They're upgraded from the Adam race into the Christ race. Just simple faith in Jesus is all that is required for us to suddenly now become eternal beings. Our spirit man that has been from eternity suddenly comes alive in Christ. Suddenly now Christ occupies this flesh and blood. His pinky toe in our pinky toes. His big toe in our big toes. His hands in our hands. And suddenly now Christ is formed in us by the Holy Spirit in us. And we're supernatural beings, everybody. We're technons of God. We're children of God. 
and all that it takes. John 1 verse 12 simply says, to those who believe, who receive him, he gives them the right to become. He declares them forever technons of God, children of God, loved. In the dearly beloved love, in his heart of love. And for many Christians, that starting point of being technons is so amazing, it's so comforting, it's so radically different because we go from a world of striving and a world of, of uh, a slavery mentality to sin and to desiring to gain significance from everything that we do we go suddenly from that to this place in our daddy's lap and in his heart of love where now we're accepted in the beloved. We're not accepted because of what we do. We're accepted because of what he's done. And all of a sudden now there's no more striving. There's no more uh, anxiety, no more fear because perfect love drives out fear. So now as technons of God, dearly beloved children of God, we're in his heart and there's no striving. Everything flows in love and grace. The danger, though, is that if we have a mentality of the old man, if we don't learn to conquer the desires of the flesh, we end up as technons for ourselves. And we end up in the Father's love, but we end up in deception because we don't walk with the Father. We sit in our, do it again, do it again. Do it again. Kiss me again. Kiss me again. Do it again. Do it again. Hug me again. Hug me again. Heal me again. Heal me again. Heal me again. Yet look at me again. Let's all go over it again. Look at me once more. Here I am now. That's right. Give me your gaze of love. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, do it all again. 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 What was that about liquid honey? Yeah. Yeah, that's the stuff. I want that. Give it again. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is so good. I don't hear the F word. Yeah. I don't, I don't hear people being anxious and jealous and fearful around me. Yeah, it's just nice in this place. Just me. No, no one else. And you know what? I'm not contaminated by the world. Do it again. Do it again. Yeah. Oh, I love this so much. It's so nice, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. I love you. Oh, yeah. Oh, don't, please don't let those, those people that are, you know, addicted to lying and drugs and, and, and alcohol. Oh, goodness gracious. And their language. Oh, Lord, please. Oh, keep me. That's it. Kiss me again. Stroke me again. Oh, yeah, Daddy. This is so good. Lovely. I love it. Yeah, I love the kingdom. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For me, for me, for me, for me. Yeah, I love. And worship becomes worship to the glorious trinity of me, myself, and I. And we don't move on into maturity in sonship. We don't move as technons into the fullness of huios. You see, there's actually nothing wrong per se with a constant deepening of experiential enjoyment in the love of the Father. But if it's truly the love of the Father, that deepening experience will happen more and more in the context of you 
pouring out his love for you to others. In fact, I've come to realize, I've come to recognize that you have not truly experienced the Father's love if that love is not sending you to the world. Some of you are a little unsure of whether to clap about that. (laughs) This salvation, the good news is this salvation is so good, you can't lose it in darkness. This light that you've been filled with is so bright that there's no darkness that can overcome it. This truth that you've been filled with, this person of Jesus, he's the truth. This truth is so strong. It's so great. He's so powerful. You, there's no lie in all of human history that can overcome that truth. You just need to relax and go. Relax and go. Relax and go. Relax and go. Into the darkness. Tomorrow, I'm flying to Mozambique. Ask me if I want to go. Go ahead. No. No, I've, I've done over 100,000 miles this year. That's already got me my executive platinum yes. status. And I don't need to, I don't, it's not even need. I don't, in my natural man, want to go. You know why? Because I'm like most other human beings. I like comfort. And I don't find comfort in the back of a wholly inadequate level of legroom for a six foot four man. I sat like this for five minutes in the airplane on the way down to Australia when I first got into the plane at LAX and the seat was right here and my face, my nose was practically touching the seat in front of me. And I sat in this seat and I just, for five minutes, and the captain came on. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to American Airlines flight AA73, LAX, en route to Sydney. Our flying time tonight will be 14 and a half hours. (laughs) But love is what compels us to go. Love's what compels us to go, everybody. And if we focus on comfort, and if we focus on our rights, and if we focus on our pleasures and what we can get instead of reminding ourselves that we were born again to be givers, then we get stuck in our experience and our experience of the Father's love becomes more and more based upon what he did yesterday and the week before or the month before or maybe several years before because once again it's come all, become all about me. By the way, I went into the restroom after takeoff. We came to altitude. I went into the restroom and while I was in the restroom the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And uh, son, I'd just like to remind you you're perhaps one of the only people on this airplane that didn't pay for their ticket. Oh yeah, that's true. And son, I'd like to remind you that I can be seat number 17H and it can be my lap for 14 and a half hours. 
And son, I'd like to remind you that you're going down to be among dearest friends that are leading Catch the Fire churches. And son, what you're carrying is going to change those churches and cause them to become conformed more to the image of Christ. Cheer up, my boy. This too shall pass. I got back to my seat. Hi, honey. I'm back. I just feel better. Oh, you do? Yeah, a lot better. Oh, thank God for that. I thought you were going to moan for 14 and a half hours. John 4, verse 1, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. Sychar means drunkenness. He came to the city called drunkenness. It's hard for us to sort of get that because it's Sychar. But if you speak Aramaic or Hebrew, uh, I'm not sure exactly which one it was, Aramaic or Hebrew, uh, to them, Sychar meant drunkenness. So it would be like, you know, going from Raleigh to Durham and along the way as you're walking, you pass by the little town called drunkenness. Yeah. And near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there and Jesus, therefore, being exhausted from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour and I've read many commentaries and the vast majority of them come to the conclusion, according to Roman time, it was six o'clock in the evening. According to Jewish time, it was 12 noon. And based on the fact that they had a mini revival that afternoon, it probably, and that things didn't happen at night in the same way that they do here. They didn't have electricity, floodlights, and all the rest of it. It's far more likely that this was Jewish time. John, being a Jew, wrote the sixth hour, meaning noon. And as Kate pointed out last week, it was strange that this woman has come out to the well at noon, at the hottest time of the day, and it's likely that she came to avoid confronting anybody because she knew that all the women that thought less of her and all the men that thought less of her had long gone from the well, that she'd be alone at the well of the town of drunkenness. A woman of Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And we talked about last week how this, this language that comes out of her mouth, how come you a Jew would ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink, how that opens up our understanding that the fundamental issue of the human race is one of wrong identity. Wrong identity. For her, her identity that was a false identity, that was a deception concerning her identity that caused everything else in her life to go wrong was that she believed that her primary identity was that she was a Samaritan woman. 
And whilst it's true that she was a Samaritan and it's true that she was a woman, that is not her primary identity. Her primary identity was daughter of God, child of God. And if she had understood her primary identity, she would have been able to see Jesus through the lenses of her correct thinking. She would have been able to have seen Jesus for who he was. He wasn't just a Jew. What was he? The king of the Jews. You see, her wrong perception of her own identity blinded her to be able to see Jesus in his true identity. The issue of every person that you work with, the issue of the people that are in your families, the issue of the people that are at the gas stations or the shopping malls or the restaurants or, or wherever you go, the coffee houses, the primary issue of most people, if they don't know Jesus, the primary condition is that they have a false perception. They have a deception concerning their primary identity. And therefore, because they don't know their own primary identity, they're unable to see you in your primary identity, which is why they often reject you if you start to talk to them about Jesus. And so if you go straight in, folks, <clears throat> if you go straight in with, you know, our rhetoric, so to speak, that they're expecting that you have to believe in Jesus, that you have to, he's the only way, the truth, and the life, all of which is true. It's just that they might not accept it while they're holding on to all their false identities. And therefore, Jesus, when he looks at this woman, what he addresses from the very get-go is he gets at the fundamental root of her issues, her wrong identities, wrong identity statements, so that she can actually begin to hear the truth that he's really the Messiah. And the way he does that, as Kate pointed out last week, is that he does it through the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to bring out this morning is that God has anointed you with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of helping the world discover their true identity as sons and daughters of God, as children of God, so that they can put their faith in Jesus Christ and become eternal sons of God. Do you get it, everybody? Right. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, in other words, if you could see the true identity of the one in front of you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with in the wells deep. Where then do you think you're going to get that living water? I, I think her humor's coming out right here. She's kind of being sarcastic. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? Now the sarcasm's piling on. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give them will never ever thirst, but the water that I shall give them will become in them a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus flips the tables. He goes from being the one asking her for something to being the one who starts to describe something so great that all she wants is everything that he carries. How are you doing with your friends? The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may thirst, nor come, that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Now, here we go. Here comes this amazing supernatural uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation. 
The woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you've said that well, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now I want you to notice that the woman is not convinced at this point. She's still going on about the wrong false identities. Here we go. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. She's still in the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of right or wrong. You Jews say that we're wrong as Samaritans. Us Samaritans say you Jews are wrong. She's in this natural realm, which is where most of your family and most of your friends spend most of their time. And if you start to come to them and start to argue with them about whether Jesus really is the Messiah and whether Jesus really can save you and save them, without giving them evidence that what you say is true, they will simply argue with you and cause you to go away feeling like you need to lick your wounds because another non-Christian or pre-Christian hurt you in your, ooh, your little achy breaky heart that will send you running as a technon back into your daddy's love. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? We have to be smart about these things, everybody. All right? This lady was serving us dinner on Tuesday night. Kate and I were at a restaurant, nice restaurant down in, uh, near Crabtree. And um, this lady was a young lady and she was one of those young ladies that I could just tell she was into alternative ways of thinking. Let's put it like that. And not only that, she was extremely proud of being into that. And I said to her at the beginning, are you a follower of Jesus? And she said, no. I said, well, there's a surprise. But I didn't say that. I said, oh, well, what do you believe? Oh, I believe in a higher power. Oh, you do? Wow. Like how high? <laughs> like really high? Medium high? Or just not that high? And she's like, oh, boy, here we go. You could just see it all over her demeanor. So when she came back, I, I said, look, I've, I've got some other questions, but I, I know you're busy, so we'll, we'll wait a bit. So, you know, after we checked out one or two things on the menu, she came back and I said, I, I, I got a question. You know the higher power you were talking about? Does, does, does it have a personality? And she's like, well, no, well, no it's an it. I said, oh, 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 it's an it. Okay, all right, cool, cool. And uh, she came back again. I said, um, you know this it that's the higher power? That's, we're not sure how high it is because it's everywhere, because she said it's everywhere. I said, well, I've got a really burning question. This is halfway through the meal. Please help me with this question. Does it like me? What's well, hard for her not to say, yes, it, it likes you. Don't worry. Rest assured, it likes you. But the problem with saying that is that that means it probably likes her as well. In which case, now we have to face the fact that it does have a personality after all. Because you can't like something if you don't have a personality. And if it's got a personality and if it likes me, then I'm confronted 
with my response to it. And she said, well, I think so. I said, oh, thank God. I'm literally so relieved. Thank you. I feel so reassured. Well, then when the meal had finished and she brought the ticket, the, the tab, I said to the, um, the check, I said to her, you know, I've been thinking about this higher power. And I've got, some, I've got some really reassuring news for you. This higher power does have a name. Because we discussed it didn't have a name, you know, as far as she was concerned. I've got some great news for you. It does have a name. Its name is, she said, well, what's its name? I said, its name is Daddy. She said, the higher power's my dad? <laughs> I said, oh, no, 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 I mean your heavenly daddy. She said, my heavenly daddy. And before she could do or say anything else, I said, yeah, your heavenly daddy, who made you to look just like him and carry his good looks, to, who loves you and has loved you from before time began, who's got an amazing plan and purpose for your life. This higher power is your dad, who's your number one fan, who constantly thinks about you, and who protects you all the time. Well, by this time, she actually was forcing a smile on her face for the first time in the evening. Why? Because for the first time she began to realize my life has purpose and meaning beyond some nebulous higher power that just might be out there. But I don't want to have to process because if I process, then I have to face the fact that I've got to make some decisions in my life. And that's what Jesus was doing right here. Now, I didn't do as well as Jesus did because I thought long and hard about, Lord, would you please give me a prophetic word for this girl? And I just kept drawing blank after blank after blank after blank. Now, I know there are some of my friends in this room, Max and many others, that, and Bronwyn, that probably would have like had a whole river of prophetic words, and we would have had her weeping on the floor and giving her life to Jesus and, you know, getting half the staff healed and everything else, but I just did my best, and I had a go, and that's what counts. I've had other moments where the entire kitchen staff have got saved, but on this occasion, I just drew blanks. But guys, I want you to know, the reason why God wants to increase the anointing on our lives in ever-increasing measure is so that we can be dynamically effective at helping people go from being a child of God and therefore God's my dad to, wow, he's not just my dad, he loves me enough to heal me, to tell me everything that I know, and to save me for eternity through his son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life on the cross. Now I'm ready to hear the gospel because you just touched me with a miracle or you said something that only God could know about me. And that's what happened to this lady. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our father, oh, I've read that. Jesus said to a woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. I want to just pause on this for a moment. I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, that every wonderful Catch the Fire family, every single human being that you ever meet was created by God as a child of God and was created with the desire to worship. Yeah. 
It is inherently in their DNA. That's why every human being gives worship to something. Our job, everybody, is to give them so much evidence of the God of love that they leave and abandon everything that they're currently worshiping and give their sole affection to Jesus. That's our job. Our job, everybody, is to reveal the supernatural love of God through signs, wonders, miracles, through the gifts of the Spirit operating in us, words of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, and operate in those outside of the four walls with such fluency, everybody, okay? Say that with me, fluency. With such fluency that the world out there is faced with a crisis of worship. Oh my gosh, I can't worship my Dodge Challenger Hellcat anymore. Oh my gosh, I can't worship my Mercedes-Benz anymore. Oh my gosh, I can't worship going on vacation in the Caribbean anymore. I can't worship vacations anymore. I can't worship my grandbabies anymore. I can't worship my children anymore. I can't worship my husband or my wife anymore. I can't worship airplanes or cell phones or cryptocurrencies or you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum and all of those things. I can't give my worship to those things anymore. I must worship Jesus because he's the only one worthy of my affections. Do you get it? That's our, that's our privilege, everybody. That's why... Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. And then you'll be my witnesses. Because the whole purpose of that witness is to create worshippers of Jesus. Instead of worshippers of every other thing in this world. You see, all of your family that don't know Jesus. You know all your family that don't know Jesus? Because you're perhaps the only one that was just plucked right out of the dominion of darkness and plunged into the glorious kingdom of the Son that God loves by His grace. And by his divine election. Well, your job and my job, okay, is to so manifest Jesus on the inside of us and so manifest the power of the Holy Spirit on the outside of us, the fruit of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, the sweetness of the kingdom flowing from the inside, but the power of the kingdom flowing from the outside, to do that with such incredible fluency and regularity that the world can no longer worship anything except Jesus. That's our privilege, everybody. That's our privilege. And Jesus says, you worship what you do not know. You see, why are the fields white for harvest? As Jesus goes on to say, the fields are white for harvest. Why are they white for harvest? Because the field is a field of worshipers. They're just worshiping the wrong thing. Why is the field white for harvest around you? Because everybody was created to worship. They're just worshiping the wrong thing. Because nobody has given them evidence to change their affections and give them to somebody worthy of them. you get it? Okay, you know, sometimes you can sit in something for so long that you get so into it that you forget what it was like when you weren't into it. 
But do you get what I'm saying, everybody? This is a game changer, everybody. First of all, when I'm standing in front of somebody, Murray, come up here a minute, please. I'm going to ask my, invite my brother. Now, when I understand my identity as a primary identity is I'm a child of God, who's now become a technon beloved of God, who's now a huios, an inheritor of God, and somebody who carries the kingdom. When I look at somebody who may not know Jesus, who's a stranger, like this woman, if I look at them, I see them through the lens of my true identity. And because I look at them through the lens of my true identity, I ignore all the false identities that they currently believe in. Because, stay right here, bro. Jesus says, but the hour, you worship what you do not know. What we, you know what we worship for salvation is of the, sorry, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Watch this, everybody. We tend to think of worship because we're, we're kind of revival, renewal, charismatics. We think of worship as this, singing with our hands up or clapping or jumping or dancing or going nuts. And we talk about it. That's the worship. We go home after church and after the church service and we say, wow, worship was good or wow, worship sucked. <laughs> Forgetting that the people got up at 5 a.m. to practice. Worship sucked. We think of worship as something that we do on Sundays. Jesus is not denying that what we do on Sundays is worship, but he's saying there's something deeper concerning worship. The Father is desiring those, the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Remember a few weeks ago when I came back from Toronto and I shared with you, whatever you ask in my name, it will be done for you. And that the in my name was not announcing, there's a new abracadabra formula, everybody. If you say in Jesus' name at the end, it's like waving a wand and getting a magician's answer, which is what most of us as Christians think of in Jesus' name. It's like we're like the abracadabra, just add that on at the end and it'll happen. No, he's not saying that. He's saying that when you know that you are in my name, you are in my identity, then you will have whatever you ask because you are me and I am you. In that you're in me and I'm in you, we are one. Are you with me? Now, in exactly the same way, he's saying... The Father desires those who will worship me, who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And by the way, spirit has a name, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of the Father. And truth has a name, Jesus Christ. I'm the way, 
I'm the truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship me in their identity of knowing that they're one with me in the Spirit and one with the Son. The Father is looking for those who worship me in, the Father is looking for those who worship Him in Spirit and in truth, the Trinity right there. The Father is looking for those who worship Him in Spirit and in Christ, the truth. In other words, whenever you believe that you are a saved son, one with Christ, that belief, that faith, and walking in that identity is true worship. Worship that's so true, it will manifest when everyone else is worshiping the wrong thing. That worship will manifest so profoundly that everybody will give up worshiping the wrong thing and come worship what you're worshiping because you're worshiping in Christ, in the Spirit. So, here we go. And then it says, God. I love it that he says, God is Spirit. He didn't say the Father is spirit, although the Father is. He chooses his words carefully. The Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in the Holy Spirit and in truth himself, Jesus Christ. So here we are. I know my identity. Worship, therefore, is bubbling up. It's bubbling up out of my spirit into eternity because I'm born of the spirit. I'm born again. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. I'm anointed by the Holy Spirit. I'm standing in front of somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And here they are. They're full of all the wrong identities. But I, by the grace of God, have settled the question of my identity. My identity is secure in Christ Jesus. I know I'm a son of my father with full rights of inheritance. I can now draw upon those rights of inheritance to do one thing, to help this person, Murray, abandon his worship of an ideology or his worship of an object or his worship of himself or his worship of comfort or his worship of hedonistic self-pleasures and I can draw him into realizing your life has more meaning than all of those false identities. You are a child of your daddy who loves you. And as I begin to start to share that with him from a place of confidence in my heavenly daddy, all of a sudden now, worship begins to bubble up in the right direction. And now he's open. And if I add to that a prophetic word, or I add to that a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or discerning of spirits or I work a miracle for him. Well, not me, but Christ in me, in his arm or his leg through a word of knowledge. All of a sudden now, his spirit man is so wide open that he turns around, walks away from the moment. If he didn't give his life to Jesus right then, walks away from that moment and tells everybody in his world, I have just met somebody who told me everything that only God could know. I think, I think they might be onto something. Why don't you come and listen? Thank you, Mar. And I just want to finish with this. The woman said to him, 
I know that Messiah is coming. Where did that come from? What, you just randomly started thinking about the Messiah? You know, like you do on a day at noon when a Jew's asking you for a drink and they shouldn't be. Oh, I know, I think of the Messiah. Oh, this wasn't a coincidence. She started thinking about the Messiah because he was helping her to discover her true identity as a child of God by behaving in front of her as a secure son of God that he was and operating in the Spirit. Let's stand, everybody. Messiah's coming. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And it says that at this point, his disciples came. They marveled. Why are you talking with a woman? And then in verse 28, the woman then left her watering pot. <laughs> she abandoned the entire purpose of her mission that morning to get water, went home without any. Why? Because she was convinced that there is a better water. I'm not quite sure, but I think there is. I need to go get the whole city. And if the whole city says that he is, then I'll believe too. But Jesus wasn't stressed out about that. He just let her go. And then she goes and she tells everybody in the city, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? I want you to notice something. Did Jesus really tell her everything she ever did? Huh? No. The only things that were important to her were the things that locked her in shame. Jesus is looking for us to unlock the shackles of shame on everyone around us. And we won't do it by pointing out their sins. We won't do it by telling them that our gospel's better than theirs. We won't do it by telling them that our sense of truth is better than theirs. We'll do it when we, re when we manifest truth himself, when we allow truth himself to literally manifest through us because we're meditating constantly on our true identity as sons and daughters, which is true worship as worshipers, in Christ, in the Spirit, we will become unbelievably provocative to every worshiper of everything that's not worthy of worship. And it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him and they urged him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and then it says, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. A bunch of Samaritans from the city called drunkenness. When all of the ancient Israel was not sure who he was. They got it. They got it. What's your job? To leave here this week, secure in your true identity, which is worship. Worship God at work. Worship him in the midst of work. Worship him when you're sitting in the most uncomfortable seat at the back of the airplane and you don't want to go to Mozambique. Worship him. Meditate on the goodness of the true identity that's yours in Christ Jesus and what will happen. You will provoke everybody around you that's giving all of their affections to everything that's wrong. Especially if you start to manifest 
the miracle saving power of the kingdom through the Holy Spirit and you will give them reason to begin to believe in the one who calls you son of God. And when you start to do miracles in front of them, they'll come to start with because of those miracles. The miracles will help them see that they're children of God. But a miracle won't always help them to become an eternal miracle of God. For that, they may need to actually come and hang out with the people you hang out with and hear the full gospel and hear the full word of Christ. But there'll come a day when they'll tell you, I believed at first because of the miracles you did, but now I believe because I heard the word of your testimony. I want you to, in pairs right now, lay your hands on the person next to you. Okay? And just begin the tallest first. The tallest first. Just decide who's the tallest. The tallest first. Just begin to pray for that short person. Just begin to pray for them. Lay hands on them and pray. Father, I'm asking you that my friend would manifest their true identity this week in Christ Jesus as a radical son of God. Just begin to pray. Go on, pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that they'll come into the fullness of their identity, the revelation of their identity in Christ Jesus. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that worship will bubble up on the inside of them. That knowing that you know that you know that you know that you know you're a son of God, that it would bubble up on the inside, that true worship. Okay, now begin to pray for them that supernatural miracles will happen all week. That they'll have courage to manifest the kingdom. That they'll have courage to believe God for words of knowledge, words of wisdom, miracles. Okay, now switch over. Now switch over and pray for the other person. All of you wonder, wonderfully vertically challenged people, pray for the person who's taller than you. Come on, pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that God will show them their identity, will secure them in their identity, that that will cause worship to bubble up. 